And so um, in Psalm 119, in verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Uh, and, you know, that, that should uh, bring us great comfort because if the Lord has spoken it, it's not going to change, right? There's not a, you know, I am, I am Jehovah Rapha, but I'm not Jehovah Rapha anymore. Then that means his word would have changed, right? Uh, and so, uh, he, he, uh, and then he goes on to say, uh, in Isaiah 55, 11, uh, this is prophecy from, of course, the prophet. Says, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing wherein, whereunto I sent it. Uh, and so, uh, you know, when the Lord uh, sends his word out of his mouth, uh, it's not going to return to him empty-handed. It's going to accomplish that which he sent it to accomplish. Uh, and... Um, uh, you know, sometimes it has to be out there a while until it accomplishes that, right? Because sometimes, like with the uh, with the Messiah and the, and the Lord needed a, a man to to be a covenant, uh, have a covenant relationship with the Lord. He sent his word out to find somebody, and it took twenty generations from Adam to Abraham to find one. It finally did find one, but it takes sometimes it takes a while, right? In, in order, for, uh, but if it has to sit out there for uh for eternity it'll sit out there for eternity until it finds the the person so sometimes if the word of god is dealing with people that can be slow right for the lord to uh for those words to respond but if it's things like uh for healing uh he sent his word right in fact uh, psalm 107 20 says he sent his word and healed them uh so he sent that uh, the word of healing i am jehovah rapha and he sent that word and if you look at you know the history of israel Really, the history of Israel from the time that Moses said that until the time of the Lord Jesus, there was very few healings, right, uh, uh, in the uh, in the nation of Israel. There were some, uh, but it wasn't nearly as prevalent as it was when the Lord Jesus was on the earth. And so, even though He sent it, you know, it really didn't didn't bear the fullness of its fruit until Jesus arrived. And and so, uh, but He sends it, right? If He sends His word then he expects it, uh, it to do exactly what it's sent out to do. And, and so uh, is, is it ever going to fail? It's never going to fail, right? It's always going to work, right? Uh, and so, uh, and then he continues on, uh, or she continues on in uh, 1 Peter one twenty three, talking about us being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So, uh, and, and really, you know, if nothing else, one of the things that, that should, you should get from this class is a, an appreciation for the value of the Word of God. How important is the Word of God, right? How true is the Word of God? How real is the Word of God? And, uh, you know, for me, ever, I mean, from the day I was born again, the value of the Word of God has always been really high because, you know, I didn't grow up in church uh, uh, and didn't know anything about uh, the Lord or the Word of God or the Bible. You know, I didn't know what the, what the difference between the New Testament and Old Testament was. Uh, but as, as I started to read the Word, you know, I realized all my answers are in this Word. Uh, and, and even if I don't know where it is, it's in there somewhere, and I can find it eventually. Uh, and so I've always had a, a great love for the Word of God. Um, but, you know, you listen to some Christians talk, and to them, the Word of God, you know, is... You know, maybe it's kind of outdated or maybe it's, you know, not really relevant for today. I mean, you know, some people, um, they think that the word of God itself is, is not relevant for today. Right. We don't we need something relevant, you know, something that's, you know, 
uh, YouTube or TikTok or Facebook or, you know, something that's relevant, right? And for today, and what are you going to teach me that's relevant, which I'm not really a fan of that word because uh, Jesus seemed to be pretty relevant uh, when he was on the earth, right? And uh, we got to do, you know, uh, uh, let our hair down and wear skinny jeans for the youth, you know, and that's relevant, right? Uh, although I'm not sure what, uh, how skinny jeans are relevant to anything, you know, but, um, but the word of God is relevant, right? Uh, it's always been relevant. It will always be relevant, right? The word of God is alive. It's living and active, Hebrews tells us, right? Uh, and so, uh, but much of the church doesn't, doesn't honor the word of God like that. Much of the church, the word of God is like, I mean, if you ask, you know, average Christian, you know, how often do they read the word of God? How much of the word of God have they ever read? Have they ever read an entire book of the, of the Bible? You know, even, you know, third John, right? You know, I read, the, I read an entire book today, right? Yeah. It's third John, right? Uh, and, and um, you know, uh, many Christians have never even read a whole book of the Bible, much less the whole Bible, right? Mm. Uh, and um, uh, if we can get to where we develop a love for the Word of God and a, an appreciation for the Word of God and realize how valuable the Word of God is, uh, because he said it's settled forever. He said it lives and abides forever. Uh, it'll go forth and accomplish that which uh, he desires, right? Whatever he pleases, that's what it's going to, going to accomplish. So if he sent healing, which the Bible says he sent his word and healed them. So he sent forth, you know, I am the healer. That's what he sent forth from, from the throne. I am the healer. Those words went out into the universe, made its way to the planet Earth. Uh, and, and that word is still reverberating in the Earth today. It's still just as real. And it's still... If you'll hook onto that word, it still is relevant, still is real today. Uh, and if you hook onto that word, it'll accomplish that which he sent it to do. Uh, and, and so the church needs to develop uh, a love for the word of God and, and, uh, and an honor for the word of God. You know, uh, many times when I hear people talk about the Bible, it's, it's almost kind of flippant, like, well, you know, it's kind of dusty and old and it's King James. And, you know, I've heard people say, well, I can't read it. It's too hard to understand, you know, and. You know, that's not true. Uh, you know, there are plenty of translations that are fairly easy to read. And, uh, and you know, I remember, uh, I don't know if it's by law, but it seemed like by law, most charismatics are required to read the, the living Bible for a while until they realize, how come this doesn't say anything like any other, any other Bible says, right? <laughs> and, then, and then you can upgrade and get a little bit better translation, you know. And, uh, of course, it's a paraphrase, but, uh, you know, in, in, in putting our book together about the healing scriptures, you know, one thing I realized, you know, really all translations are paraphrases in that sense because you can't do a one-to-one -one translation of the words because, first of all, the Greek structure of uh, communication is different than the English structure of communication, so you've got to rearrange words anyway, and, uh, and some words just don't really fit, you know, so you have to add words. Some words seem to be missing to flow with an English. So, you know, really all translations, in, in essence, are a paraphrase, but, uh, you know, the, the the translations that are called paraphrases take a lot more poetic license, right? You know, well, he was probably saying this over here, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're not quite as constrained in, in uh, doing word-for-word -word translation. Uh, and I, but I think, you know, that uh, many of them have their place uh, in all of the Word of God, you know? And, and, you know, people are coming up new translations every day, uh, and sometimes we get stuck. I'm a King James-only, you know, person, and, uh, which is great, except what about all the people who lived before 1611, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they couldn't have been a King James only people because it didn't exist uh, 1,500 years a after Jesus was, was uh, gone, right? So, um, you know, and of course, you know, I preach from the King James. I just kind of like, like the flow of it, you know, and I kind of grew up with it. But um, there are plenty of other good translations. And so 
But some people get real fixated on, on that thing, and, uh, and I'm just not fixated on any, on any particular translation. I'll look at many translations, and, you know, some of them are really, really bad, and, and if they are really bad, I don't pay much attention to them. But some translations are really good, and, and it seems like uh, every few years somebody comes up with another pretty good translation, you know. And, and, um, uh, and so, um, so just uh, because the word uh, was spoken by the Lord, and it, it came from the realm of the spirit into the natural realm. Men took that then and had to write that down in, in natural languages, right? In Greek and Hebrew primarily. Uh, and then uh, other men had to take those and translate those words that came from heaven into other languages. So, you know, we're, we're twice removed from the original words that came from heaven, right? We've we got the original Hebrew and Greek, and, and th- those are the most accurate words we have. But we probably don't have any actual original manuscripts of any Bible, any book of the Bible, right? Of, of the 66 books. I don't know that we have any original, original written by Moses or written by John uh, manuscripts at all. Uh, and so uh, to me, uh, it always amazes me looking at the history of the Bible, how well the Lord carried that, uh, those words through the centuries to get down to, you know, in our modern world, you know, you would never lose the manuscripts because they're all online now. And, you know, you've got all the original stuff online, at least as far as we can get as far as close to those as we can get. But you think about all the dark ages, you know, there was no Internet. There was no libraries holding all these things in a secure vault of some kind and, and uh, you know, temperature controlled and humidity controlled rooms. You know, they were stuck in somebody's. In fact, you remember the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? I don't know if you know anything about the history of the, of the Bible, but. Back right after World War II, there was some some nomads wandering through some uh, caves around the Dead Sea, and they found a whole bunch of scrolls uh, in uh, original or fairly uh, old writings of the Bible, uh, and they call them the Dead Sea Scrolls because they were rolled up scrolls of leather and, and different materials uh, of original Bible uh, books and other materials as well. Uh, and the, some of them were very, very accurate, like a complete uh, copy of the book of Isaiah, for example, and different things like that, and, and allowed uh, all the translators to have a more accurate basis uh, from which they were translating the Bible. And so, but that was just, you know, the Lord kept that for thousands of years, right? Hidden from everybody, nobody else knew about it, right? And they just stumbled across these, and it was a perfect humidity, right? Perfect temperature, and it wasn't, wasn't damp and uh, things like that. And so the Lord... You know, the Lord's well able to keep those things and, and has done a great job of, of uh, keeping those things for us. And so, because that's how important the Word of God is. Amen. The Word of God should be very important to the church. Uh, and so, uh, he said, um, uh, Jesus was talking about um, uh, the Word of God in John chapter 17. Uh, and he prayed to the, to the Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Uh, so the source of truth, the only source of truth that we have is the word of God. It's the absolute truth. Uh, and that's the thing that, uh, you know, always amazes me because people always think that, you know, things like morals and stuff are, are, are flexible and fluid and they shift and change with the, depending on the, the time and seasons of society. Uh, but the, Lord, the word of God is not flexible. It doesn't change. If it was sin 2000 years ago, you know what? It's still sin, right? It doesn't matter if, the, if society you know, society today has decided that same-sex marriage is, is perfectly fine, right? Uh, and, um, but, you know, for thousands of years, long before Jesus was around still, it, it was not so, right? 
So if it was not so thousands of years before Jesus came and it was not so when Jesus came, is it still not so today? It's still not so today. Now, now look, none of my business what people do, you know, in their own lives. Uh, and really, you know, that I think the church missed it by allowing the world and the government to define marriage anyway. It's the church who defines marriage. The government can define relationships between two consenting adults in whatever way they want to. But the church defines marriage as a spiritual uh, coming together, not as a natural coming together. Uh, and so, you know, we, we've relegated, uh, really abdicated our responsibility to the, to the world and the world's governments to define those things. Uh, and so in the church, you know, we define things the way the Bible defines them. Amen. We don't change with society. And uh, because it, it, if it abides forever, then it abides forever. It's not going to change if we decide, you know, we don't really like that particular sin. It's no longer sin. Um, and, you know, uh, great struggles occur in churches because of these things. They struggle. And I'm thinking, how is that even a thing to struggle on, right? Should we ordain, you know, uh, homosexual uh, uh, ministers, you know? Uh, how, how does that take more than a nanosecond to decide, right? I mean, would you, would you ordain uh, someone who's embezzling, right? Any other sin. I mean, it doesn't matter what the sin is. Any other sin, right? Uh, would you ordain somebody like that if you know that they were, you know, had, were publicly confessed? Yeah, you know, I, I, rob, I rob banks on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know. Oh, well, yeah, you know, come up to the pulpit, you know. Uh, it'd be great to have you, you know, tell us your experiences, right? Which, one, which, uh, which vaults do you find to be the hardest type to, to break into, right? Uh, and so, um, you know, we don't do that, but uh, we struggle with, well, should we ordain them or not, you know? I mean, these things are not hard things to do, right? Uh, I think the struggle we get into is, is, is we either want to condemn everybody if they're not perfectly lined up with the Word of God, which is just wrong, or we want to uh, appease people and say that nothing they do is wrong. Uh, and, and, you know, the balance that we should find is, yeah, that's wrong, and that's between you and the Lord, you know? Uh, and so... Yeah. And unwed mothers. Really? And I looked at her and I said, so you're defining one sin above another. Now, I understand not to be an elder. Or sure, right. A position of leadership, so right. I'm, so I'm talking about coming to church. Yeah. And she was dead serious. She yeah. Said, well, they pollute your church. I said, so does everything that I do that's sinful. Sure. You know, I mean, we all pollute the church if we let our sin go wild. Well, sure. And that that's the thing that's a, a, a boy struggle with, you know, and of course, I've tell you all many times, you know, bring all the sinners to church you can, bring them in, you know, and as long as they're not stirring up anything, they want to sit and listen to the word, bring them, you know, they got to be here, right, because where else are they going to hear the, the word of God taught? I mean, it's, a, it's absurd for the church to say we don't want any sinners around us, then what are we here on the earth for? Yeah. We're literally on the earth to be around sinners to get them into the kingdom of heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I understand, you know, it does cross the line when uh, you know, and I've had people that were in open sin come to me and say, hey, I want to I want to do something in the church. Well, then we've got to have a conversation. Right. But if you're in open sin and you want to sit there and listen to the word of God, then praise God, you know, 
And, you know, people will come up to you as a pastor. You know, people have done that. Come up to me and say, hey, that person said, you need to do something about that. And then, you know, I'll ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do about it? And uh, more often than not, you know what he tells me? Just let it ride. Just let it ride. In other words, just leave it alone. Because if they're not messing, they're not, I mean, I'm not offended by it. Are you offended by it? Well, if you are, you know, we can have the discussion offline. But but if they're sitting there and I know they're in open sin, that doesn't offend me just because they're in open sin. Uh, even if they're a Christian, it doesn't offend me. Some, some Christians get so bent out of shape when they either see another Christian sin. Now, look, what bothers me is when, when they're in sin and they are encouraging other people to sin. Okay, now that's a problem, right? Now they are causing a problem, right? When, when they go around, hey, I'm sinning, you should sin like me, you know, or they're in leadership positions, you know, there, there are things that are an issue. But if they're sitting there just, you know, they're desperate, they don't know how they got to where they're at, and they don't know how to get out of where they're at, and they want to hear the word of God, then let them come. I mean, that's, that should be the very uh, best thing because, yeah, okay, those two sins. What about worry? What about gossip, right? I mean, gossip to me is, is one of the worst sins you can do run down somebody else to try to make yourself look better, uh, that's a terrible sin. And yet people gossip all the time, don't think anything about it, right? They gossip about the pastor, gossip about the leadership, gossip about the pastor's wife, you know, and say terrible things about them. And, uh, and that's okay, but not that sin over there, right? And so, and the reason why they pick those sins is because, well, they would never do those, right? Uh, you know, because they're not going to pick these sins over here that they are doing, right? Well, we're not going to pick those because I'm doing those. But yeah, we don't want to talk about that, but we're going to talk about these over here because I know I'm not doing that. So that's the old Luke 18, right? The publican and the sinner, right? I mean, publican and the Pharisee, right? Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men, like that guy over there. I'm way better than him. I'm so good, I can't hardly stand myself, right? And, and that's probably true because I can't stand them either. And so, uh, so you know, I, I, I just have never understood why, why Christians get just so bent out of shape around sin, um, uh, you know, uh, I, I know it's not got a whole lot to do with, with the healing message, but it, I mean, it, it does in a sense, because if, if, if a sinner comes to you and they need healing, is their sin going to cause you so, so much um, uh, offense that you can't have compassion on them and, and pray for them to be healed? Is that going to hinder you from operating as a, as a blessing to them? I mean, God so loved who? The world. He didn't say God so loved the, the good people. He loves everybody. He loves the rank of the worst sin in the world. And look, and, and you know, for me, the, the only time I'm ever concerned about people's sin is when, and it's, and, and look, uh, in all the years I was with my pastor, all the years I've been a, a, I've been a pastor, the only sins I ever have problems with are people who think they're better than somebody else, who think they're more righteous and, and know more about the word and are more spiritual than everybody else. Just your regular old Christian, rarely ever a problem. You know, just even if they're not living a perfect life, they're just rarely a problem. But the people who come in all high and mighty, all Pharisees, you know, they're always the ones who stir everything up. Big churches, small churches, everything in between. It's always the people who think they're smarter, better, more spiritual than somebody else who is a problem. And they will corrupt other people. Uh, and so, and of course, the book of James says that where envious strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. And a lot of people like that are envious and, uh, of, the, of the leadership. They think they deserve that leadership role. They think they deserve to be the pastor. They think they're better at being a pastor than somebody else. And, and that's envy and strife. And it will cause confusion in every evil work. Uh, and I remember a story with uh, Dr. Dufresne. Someone came up to him 
and said, I could pastor this church better than you. Because at one time he had a church of a thousand people before the Lord said, it's time for you to go on the road. Uh, and so, of course, Dr. Dufresne w- was uh, never one to mince a lot of words. He looked at him and said, well, you probably can. The, the, only, the, the only problem is I'm called here and you're not. Goodbye. Uh, and so, uh, and that's true, right? You know, doesn't, is, there, is there a better pastor, a better minister than I am? There's probably a dozen, you know, hundreds, probably thousands of people who can teach and preach better than I can, but they're not called to stand behind this pulpit. And so I'm the best one for this pulpit today, right? Now, tomorrow, who knows, right? The Lord may get you an upgrade and, and find somebody that's way better than me, right? Uh, and so, uh, and that's fine. If, if, uh, if he can get promoted into, into that position, I'm all for it, right? Uh, and so, so the word of God is the truth. It's their absolute. Uh, and so if he says he's our healer, then what does that mean? That means he's a healer. That, that doesn't mean he changed and stopped doing it out of the first century. And, um, you know, the, the people, to me, the, the amazing thing to me is how casually people can dismiss the word of God. Oh, well, the Lord stopped doing that. that. That's a big thing to say. That you got no Bible for it, no, no, no word of God that says, I have decided to stop being the healer of mankind. You got no, no word for that. And so your opinion is that he stopped doing it. Therefore, the word of God is no longer accurate, no longer relevant, no longer correct. Uh, uh, And people can say that just as casually, just like people can say, well, the Lord put the sickness on me just as casually. Mm. To me, that's to me, that's blasphemy. Mm. I mean, it really uh, is uh, uh, borderlines and blasphemy. In fact, uh, while I'm thinking about it, I was looking at some notes. Let's see if I could find it here. Um, do I have a search thing? I don't know if I could find it there. Um, oh yeah. Um, this is from John Osteen. He said that I've got a, I've got a, uh, I keep a list of, of great quotes that uh, people have said over the years. And so John Osteen said to say anyone is hopeless is to say God is helpless. And he said, and that's blasphemy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's pretty stout right there, right? That's blasphemy. And it really is, because what you're saying is the word of God is not true. What you're saying is God has stopped being the great helper of mankind. Uh, and, and the other one that uh, I was looking at today uh, from um, John G. Lake. Uh, and, of course, you know, these guys, you know, John G. Lake was the one who went to Africa. And he started the, the Apostolic Faith Missions Church, which is still thousands of these churches going on in Africa today. He was the one who, who said, put the, put the plague in my hand and watch it die. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I mean. I mean, nowadays, you know, it, it's uh, uh, people don't even want to touch anything. Right. Uh, and so, well, this is John G. Lake. And he said, uh, people say I was born with this weakness or that weakness or I have this mental tendency or that mental tendency. Uh, and then he says, as if they should remain that way forever, as if there was no God, as if his business was not to restore their personality, body, soul and spirit and bring them into the likeness of Jesus Christ, the perfect man. Now, and, and from his from his perspective, if you say that I was born this way and it cannot change, he said, that's like saying there is no God as if there is no God. Uh, and but people casually, well, I'm just born that way. I'm just born with, you know, I'm missing a couple chromosomes and which is probably true. I know a few folks that, you know, I think you're a few chromosomes shy of a full load. Right now. But people can just say that just casually, like, you know, there's nothing to be done. Nothing can be done in the church, right? Now in the world, none of my business, but in the church, yeah, nothing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just this way, as if there is no God, right? Uh, and, and sometimes I wonder, you know, have you ever met Jesus? You know, let me introduce you to him. He's a healer, right? 
Uh, sometimes you wonder about folks, you know, in the church, right? Uh, and so thy word is truth. It's, it's the standard. Yeah. It's, it's the basis for all that we know uh, about the Lord. Because, you know, you think about how do we even know the Lord? We know the Lord because he reveals himself through his word. Mm-hmm. That's it. Uh, you know, I mean, I know, I know that creation testifies of him, but I can't get to know who he is. I can know that he exists by, by looking at creation. But I don't know who he is in, until I read the word. Uh, and so, uh, and then Ecclesiastes 8, 4 says, where the word of a king is, there is power. Uh, and so, uh, who, who's the great king? Jesus. Jesus is, right? So he's the great king of kings. And so, where, where the word of the king is, there is power. Uh, and so, uh, so, if Jesus is the king of kings, then there must be infinite power, right? Uh, so, it, it's... Uh, uh, and so all of those uh, scriptures there were, were, is her foundation for that this is settled forever, right? Whatever the word of God says is what the word of God says. And it's not going to be added to, it's not going to be changed. Uh, in, the, in fact, remember what Jesus said, that heaven and earth are passed away before one jot or tittle of this word passes away, right? Before any speck of, of the word of God passes away and ceases to exist, the earth will stop spinning and, and cease to exist. Uh, and so... Uh, the word of God can't be corrupted. Uh, it'll last forever, right? It's not going to expire. It's not going to stop working. It's, it's going to last forever. Uh, and, um, and she tells some stories of, of uh, you know, some analogies like that. Um, uh, and then she kind of goes into some of the history of the church and how the church itself tried to corrupt things, you know, because um, uh, I don't know if she goes through that yet there. I think it's later on that she goes through that. But, you know, the church went through a lot of crazy uh, centuries of just uh, insanity right uh, and it would really uh, primarily revolved around the roman catholic church and they'd come up all kinds of insane ideas about hey you know if you give me some money then we'll we will absolve your sin you know uh, and that used to be a thing right uh, but you know it's it's 2021 that really doesn't change you know send me some money and god will bless you right why can't god just bless me anyway right uh and uh, or my my ministry is especially anointed if you send me uh, you know, send me money as opposed to sending them money, God will heal you, right? Uh, that'll get you to the grave really quick if you say uh, insane things like that. But that's, still, that's been going on as long as there's been the church, right? Uh, and so, but finally, this fellow by the name of Martin Luther, anybody ever heard of Martin Luther? Now, not Martin Luther King Jr., right? Uh, he, he was in our, in our lifetime. Uh, I think he was still cut from the same cloth as Martin Luther, right? He was a trailblazer just like Martin Luther was. But Martin Luther was a good Catholic fellow, taught the Catholic, you know, doctrine. And, and, but along the way, he started realizing, you know, this stuff is crazy. What you're saying is crazy. And finally, he wrote the 95 Thesis, you know, the, the, the famous 95. He went to the church there and nailed these 95 Theses. Basically, you know, salvation by faith only. Uh, and, and, and started the Protestant Re- uh, Reformation, right? You know, we're all considered uh, Protestants, which just means we're not Catholics, right? So you got Catholics and then you got everybody else, right? Uh, and everybody else was started because Martin Luther basically started that whole movement uh, uh, to get out from under the, uh, the insanity of, of the Roman Church at that time, uh, and Roman Catholic Church. And so uh, he started all that. In fact, uh, what's it, November? Today's November the 7th. So a week ago uh, was uh, 400 and uh, four years uh, since the, uh, uh, was it 1517? Uh, I think it was 1517. So uh, uh, 
So it's, uh, it's 2021. So 500, 504 years. There you go. Yeah, higher math right there, right? Uh, let's take the derivative of it. Jared, you want to? Um, uh, and, and so it's uh, 504 years since the... That's the only good time to celebrate October 31st, right? We don't celebrate Halloween, but uh, we can celebrate Martin Luther... Uh, because all, all Martin Luther was doing was restoring the church back to the original word of God. That all this junk that you guys are doing, uh, many ways to get to heaven and purgatory and all that stuff, all that's foolishness. Faith is how you get to heaven, right? Because that was settled in heaven. When the Lord spoke it, that's what's settled in heaven, right? Uh, and so, uh, and um, it just exploded, right? It was, he was the perfect man at the perfect time uh, to, to start that whole movement. Uh, and um, uh, and so uh, we won't go into any, any other theology about that. But turn over to um, uh, Romans uh, chapter one there. So this so this chapter really is about uh, making sure that we have a good uh, appreciation for the word of God. Uh, and so he says here in Romans one. 17, uh, for, in, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Uh, and so uh, this, this is how it's supposed to be established, right? Are we just, just means are we justified, right? Are we, been, uh, are we the righteousness of God? So uh, that's talking about us, right? It's talking about the church. The church, who are the, the ones that have been justified, shall live by faith, right? Not just experience faith on occasion, but live every day. We every every step we take, every move we make, it's by faith, uh, and that's why you know even in the area of sickness and disease, you know, uh, uh, the church has really done not done a good job of saying the only way that you can heal is this narrow way, right? The, this little narrow way, um, and and yet when you look at the whole counsel of God, there's a wide range of ways that the Lord, that the Lord has provided healing for His people, right? Uh, in the word of God, uh, from the laying on of hands to, to special faith, working of miracles, gifts of healings, uh, faith in the word of God only. Um, and so many ways that the Lord has provided for us uh, because people are at different levels of faith. Uh, and so if your faith is, I've got to go to the doctor, but I know when I go to the doctor, it, it'll all be fine, but I need to go to the doctor. Well, that's still faith, right? That's still faith. It needs to be faith in the word and faith in the Lord and not faith in the doctor, right? So you should never have faith in people or procedures. Your faith should be in the Lord. And so if, if, if the Lord tells you, go, you go to the doctor because that's where your level of faith is, your you know, doctor level of faith, that's perfectly fine. And, and the church, I think, has done a disservice by implying that if you go to the doctor, you're not in faith. But that's not necessarily true, right? I mean, how many people have you ever heard Hey, you know, what would you like me to pray for? Well, pray that God will give the doctors wisdom. That's great. You know, that's not the highest level of faith, but that's still faith, right? Well, okay, then you're going to believe that God will grant a supernatural wisdom to this doctor to know exactly what to cut and what not to cut. You know, don't cut the red wire, right? Whatever you do, don't cut that one. Uh, and so make sure that the doctor knows, don't cut that red wire, right? Well, that could be supernatural wisdom. He could, he could guide them and and if that's where your faith is, well, then I can hook up with that, right? No problem with that. The just shall live by faith. Uh, could you increase that? Sure, you can. You can grow in that. But is anybody perfect in their faith uh, as of today? Not nobody that I know, right? Uh, and so, uh, so he said, um, 
uh, as far as God's word, then God's word for healing uh, is, uh, is settled forever, right? Uh, and then, uh, then she goes into a little bit about some history and some uh, discussion of other religions. And she made a point about how um, that every religion, not just Christianity, but every religion, uh, has some belief either, and I'm just going to read what she said, some belief either clearly expressed or tacitly implied that healing of the human body is part of the function of the God or gods that they worship by the followers of, of that particular religion. Uh, and so, uh, and that's kind of true, right? In fact, if you go and look at a lot of the, the uh, writings of a lot of, uh, a lot of religions, a lot of religions have similar stories uh, uh, as the, the Christian religion does, right? They have stories of creation. They have stories of floods. They have stories of healing and miracles and things like that. Uh, if you look at the whole council of them, they're mostly goofy stuff, right? You know, like uh, in the Hindu uh, religion, you know, they do have uh, the creation of the world and but if you look at it, it's the world is sitting up on top of a turtle, sitting on top of a bunch of, or sitting on top of a bunch of elephants, sitting on top of a bunch of turtles, right? And we've taken the space shuttle up, been in the moon. There's no turtles and, and elephants holding up the earth, right? It's foolishness, right? And now, of course, when they're riding it, they're like, nobody will ever be able to tell, so we're going to make it up, right? Nobody will ever be able to actually prove that there's not elephants holding up the earth until we, you know, went to the moon and go, don't see no elephants, right? Uh, and so they have similar stories, except because they're made by man, they don't have the wisdom of, of the actual creator of the universe to write those things down, right? Uh, and so, and she talked about how uh, some, uh, some people in the medical industry, uh, in fact, she said uh, there was a president of university, said that because healing of the sick has been mixed up uh, with religion, that it has hindered the development of medical science. Uh, and see, that person doesn't know what they're talking about, right? Uh, because uh, if you really understand that the whole medical industry is a mercy provided to humanity by the Lord God himself, see, if you knew that as a medical researcher, you would, you would know that then whatever I'm researching, the mercy of God is going to let me find the answer to this problem. The mercy of God is going to help me find the cure to cancer, you know, for, find the cure to blood disease. Uh, find the cure to whatever. And, and even if they don't know it, it's still the mercy of the Lord revealing that to people. Uh, and so there are oftentimes uh, people like that who say things like that, that the church is a hindrance to the advancement of science. Mm. You know, all science is is a way to explain the creation of God. Yes. It's not there to supersede the creation of God. And some scientists think that they're smarter than God, you know, and uh, and it's amazing how, you know, it seems like some people, the smarter they get, the dumber they are. Mm -hmm. Well, there can't be a God. So go, how do you explain anything? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, it was all started with the Big Bang. What was before the Big Bang? And who kicked off the Big Bang? You know, what, you know how did all of this come from, from one explosion? You know, that's really, that's really stretching uh, faith, right? Uh, I mean, you've got to have more faith in your science than I have to have faith in an almighty, all-powerful God, right? Uh, people's faith in things like evolution is so strong. It's like, wow, you've got greater faith than I've got because your faith in evolution is kind of dumb. It doesn't make any sense, right? Anybody ever seen a cat dog or an elephant buffalo or, you know, how come there's not those things, right? Why did everything settle on four legs and not eight, 12, five, right? I mean, why is it always four? Aren't there any three-legged things, right? Uh, and, I mean, the whole, the whole concept of, of evolution is, you know, basically uh, 
the whole, the whole idea of evolution is every feature that you have in your body, every fingerprint, every fingernail, every joint, every hair, every single thing was, was a result of some error in a prior generation, right? That, you know, there was no fingernails and then somebody grew up with a, with a, with a genetic defect and it turned into a fingernail. And then that genetic defect happened to then completely go into the entire population. And now everybody's got fingernails. Well, I mean, how come it didn't die out with that? You know, now apparently everybody was inbred, I guess, because, you know, somehow it got into everybody. But how did that make it? Well, you know, natural selection. Okay, that sounds fine on the surface, but when you start looking at the math behind it, it's absurd, right? Uh, it's, way, it's way easier to go, you know, God in heaven goes, they need fingernails, you know? And why God gave us like little toe toenails? I mean, I don't know. I mean, who, who even uses that, right? I mean, I don't know why it's there, uh, but uh, it seems like a pretty useless thing. But the Lord's like going, shut up. I'm going to have you, you're going to have it anyway. Yes, sir. Right. And so, I mean, it only takes a drop of, of fingernail polish to paint those, right? I don't paint mine, but my wife paints hers, you know, and so doesn't take, doesn't take much at all there, right? Uh, and so, so there's a lot of people in the, in the natural world who get, you know, who get upset at the church, right? Yeah. Go from station to station, and one would be, you know, like like an embryo of a cat or dog or whatever, and then they say show the human one and see how similar they look, and that was their proof. Yeah. Meanwhile, you look five days later, and even the embryos are starting to look oh, yeah, right. different. But at you know at the like at one stage, stage right? Three days into conception or something. Yeah. And that was their proof. And that's really weak, right? I mean, that's yeah. very it's I mean, very I weak. Mean, Yeah. Oh, I remember growing up long before I was a Christian. I remember, remember, remember the old timeline. They'd show you, you know, the first is a monkey and then a monkey, you know, was standing a little straighter up, but he's kind of hairy. And then, you know, had a little bit more erect there, you know, and then his, but he had a big head and, and then, then he got a smaller head and finally he's standing up and he's a man, right? It's like, well, where's all those guys in between, right? We got this one, we got that one, but we got nothing in between, you know, and, and, and these things were supposed to have occurred over millions of years. So surely there's millions of these fossils running around and, and there's no dog cat fossils, right? There's no giraffe buffalo fossils running out there. Uh, and so the Lord said, uh, let there be a chicken. And there was a chicken, right? I mean, you know, what came before, the, you know, uh, uh, which came first, chicken or the egg? Well, that's easy. The chicken came first, right? The Lord, let there be a chicken, right? Uh, and, and God saw that it was good. And all the fried chicken people said it was good, right? Uh, and so... Uh, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not interested in debating anybody over these things. You know, people that are smarter than me debate all those things, you know. And, uh, but but it, is, it is foolishness. To, but even in a church, sometimes people get so educated, they get dumb, you know. Well, you know, God, he, he had to use evolution. Like, he's weak. Like, it's like, you know, that's a, the best I can do is, all I can do is just get this one cell. I'm just exhausted after one cell, you know. Just, you figure it out on your own, right? And then the one cell becomes us. Well, he never said he made an amoeba in God's image and God's likeness, right? He made Adam in God's image and God's likeness. And so uh, there was no caveman, you know, that, that created Adam. You know, there might have been cavemen. I don't know, but uh, they didn't create Adam if there were any cavemen, right? Adam was the first one. Uh, and so, uh, and then she goes through uh, some of the history. And, you know, really, uh, and I've done some of this research over the years. If you go through the history of the church and look at the writings of, of historians, in each century, 
what you find is there's been miracles in every century of the church. Uh, and she was writing, uh, wrote down what uh, this one fellow said in, in, in the second century, right? So, and uh, actually, um, uh, I guess she talked about one historian wrote about the Jews, that disease was considered a punishment for sin and, and hence the cure was religion rather than medical. And a lot of people see that as being a hindrance to the medical. Uh, and, and that's where the church, we, we get, sometimes we get uh, overly zealous uh, and we're in conflict with the medical industry and, and we shouldn't be, right? Uh, now, you know, I'm not in conflict. My goal is to put them all out of business, but that doesn't mean I'm upset at them. You know, if they're out of business, it's because now we're fully in faith uh, and we don't need them, right? And so they can go become artists and, you know, painters or whatever, sculptors and uh but it's real, realistically, it's never going to happen because you're always going to get people of varying levels of faith, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, but then you get to the second century. One historian wrote that, uh, that there were others that were healing the sick by laying hands on them. This is, uh, she referenced 180 D, right? 180 AD. Uh, and uh, this was a historian writing about the Christians. They were laying hands on people and they were well. Uh, and even dead people were raised up and remained them among them. Uh, and then she went to the third century uh, and uh, said that people were, another historian was writing, that they expel evil spirits, right, and perform cures? Miracles are still found among Christians, uh, and some of them uh, more remarkable than, uh, remarkable than even existed among the Jews, uh, and that uh, they had seen them. Uh, and then she said that uh, it, it continued on in history until you hit about the, the seventh century, right? Uh, so about the 600s, 600 AD or so. And then the church started backsliding, right? That's when we kind of got involved in, uh, you, you ever seen things like relics, right? Uh, where oh, I've got the finger of an apostle. I've got the finger bones of an apostle, right? These relics were, became a big thing. And really it was just superstition. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I found a chunk of the cross, right? This is, this is from the cross. But, you know, has anything changed today? You know, get this special healing anointing oil from Jerusalem, right? We're not any different. We're just doing the same silliness that they did, you know, back hundreds of years ago, right? That somehow this natural thing has got greater power than God, right? Uh, and so, but uh, we kind of backslid for centuries, right? And then, uh, but then uh, she made it to the uh, 12th century and uh, some fella uh, in France had a, had a significant healing ministry. Uh, in the 13th century, there was a fellow by the name of Thomas of Hereford of England uh, had hundreds of healing uh, healings documented in his um, uh, in his uh, ministry, uh, and then um, she tells a story about this this uh, uh, one little girl that was, uh, or as I said, a two year old. Didn't say it was a girl necessarily, but uh, was uh, on a bridge and fell uh, off this bridge, twenty eight feet uh, off this bridge into the water, uh, and was found the next day. Uh, and I mean, I don't know how you lose them, but, you know, of course, this was probably back in the time without electricity and things. But uh, but uh, the obviously the child was dead, right, to being exposed overnight in, in the water and falling 25, 28 feet. And a neighbor came by and we don't know any details about who this neighbor was, but a neighbor came by and, and prayed for the child. And, it, and the child came back alive. And by the end of the day, it was running around perfectly healed uh, and um, uh, and of course, we don't, I don't know what year that was, but she talked about a king. There was a fellow by the name of King Edward the Confessor, uh, who was around the 11th century, uh, uh, had prayed for people to get healed. 
Uh, and so, you know, she and she, so she just went through some some stories of healing um, in the history of the church. And really, you know, people say, well, you know, after the first century, those things ended. That's not true. Right. I mean, you can go if you really dig into history and, and actual historians are writing about uh, things that they had observed with their own eyes uh, and testimonies of people. There have been miracles and healings all through the history of the church. Uh, and um, um, and it, but, it, you know, it didn't really take off really until the time around the Pentecostal church revival around the beginning of the, the 20th century, like Azusa Street and places like that. Uh, and and so before that, it was kind of pockets here and there of healings. You know, some people, individuals oftentimes would get the revelation of healing and they would have a small uh, localized healing ministry. Uh, but it really wasn't until like Azusa Street uh, and it became wildfire around the earth, right, that uh, these things uh, became part of the whole church, right? And so even now, 100 years from that, since then, 120 years since Azusa Street, healing is, is a real part of the, uh, of, of the church around the world, right? It's not every church, but anywhere you go in the world, you'll find a church that is believing in the healing power of God and exercising it, teaching it, and preaching it, and believing it, right? And so... Um, so and, and it's never and it will never change. Right. It'll stay that way until the Lord Jesus gets back, because there's too much uh, there, there's too much word going forth for the entire church to backslide. Right now, I'm, you know, there's going to be times and seasons when the church doesn't do as much as they ought to do. Uh, you know, uh, you can look at the history of the church from like even after Brother Hagin died. You know, Brother Hagin, uh, he wasn't the Lord Jesus. You know, he didn't die for anybody. And really all he did was, was bring faith back into the church, you know, from a teaching perspective, right? Because the, the, the Pentecostal church had gotten fixated on preaching only and not doing any teaching. But the church needs to be taught. It's the world that needs to be preached to. Uh, and, uh, but even after he died, you know, a big percentage, you know, I don't know what the number is, but a big percentage of the churches that were following that, that doctrine of faith kind of went you know, went their own route and, and, and followed the route of the, the user-friendly churches, uh, which is to say, you know, the user-friendly church's priority is fellowship and, you know, hanging out and being good, being nice, you know, being moral people. But, but you know, we don't want to talk about anything radical like speaking in tongues or, you know, prophesying, you know, uh, healing, laying hands on a sick, anointing with oil. We don't want to do anything radical like that. And so they kind of, you know, many of the churches that were, closely aligned with Brother Hagin's message kind of went by the wayside, you know, and and, uh, and what happened is they had a big influx of people because nobody was being confronted and nobody was being encouraged to live by faith. People just live however they want to. And so, you know, that uh, it's unfortunate that it happened, but it always happens. But that doesn't that uh, that will never quench the whole knowledge of healing. And uh, because there's too much there's too much teaching now uh, in the body of Christ for that to ever uh, go entirely by the wayside. It may it may diminish as a whole in the entire church, but there's always going to be churches like this that that uh, you know people consider them radical. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I think of our church, I don't think of us as radical at all. I think it's just as normal. Just I mean, just you know, flatline normal. Not even you know like oh, you're way out there. You know, I never even think well, you know we were way. I just think we're just as normal, you know, uh, about faith as you ought to be, right? Um, that's not everybody's opinion, obviously, right? And so <laughs> that's okay. Uh, and so uh, she talks about John Alexander Dowie. 
uh, and, and um, you know, she said, she said of him, you know, if, the, if, if you see anything in his life or teaching that that's not lined up with the word of God, don't follow it. Right. Because there were uh, there have been great men and women of God who were used in spectacular ways, but their doctrine got, got crossways with the word. Uh, and sometimes it's easy to do, to do that. You know, if if the Lord uses you in spectacular ways, it's easy to wake up and think, you know, I must be somebody. You know, I need to really advance new doctrine and come up with all kinds of new crazy things because the, the, the drive to always, always come up with something new and fresh uh, compels people to make up doctrine that doesn't exist. And, and uh, uh, eventually John, Alex- John Alexander Dowie uh, thought he was Elijah and wore an Elijah hat. I don't know where you like, is there a store that, you know, we got Elijah hats and we got Elisha hats and we got, you know, I mean, I don't know where you go, but he wore these big tall hats, you know, and these big robes and, you know, um, just it was just silliness. Right. It's a shame that someone that is well used and mighty in the power of God uh, would end up doing something so, so silly. But, you know, part of it is who do you surround yourself with? Right. Uh, if you surround yourself with people who only tell you how wonderful you are, uh, then, you know, you'll think that you're pretty wonderful. Right. Now, you don't need to surround yourself with people who tell you you're sorry, no count either. Right. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, that there was a fellow uh, by the name of William Branham. Uh, he, uh, John Alexander Dowie lived in the early part of the 20th century, and, and uh, William Branham lived in the, in the, the middle part of the 20th century. Uh, but he followed kind of John Alexander Dowie's uh, doctrine. Uh, and, uh, but there was a time when people said that William Branham was the greatest prophet in, our, in, in the country. Uh, and mightily used of the Lord and, and just, uh, you know, uh, just prophesy things that, you know, about your life or whatever with the word of knowledge uh, that were just amazing, right? Uh, spectacular in, in the area of miracles. Uh, and, uh, but, the, but the problem with uh, William Branham was uh, he was very uneducated. And that's not necessarily a problem in and of itself, but when you're uneducated, you know, when you read the word of God, you have to have a certain level of intelligence. Just read. Right. You know, and so he would read the word of God and come up with crazy doctrine like Eve was the source of all of our problems. And that means that women are the source of all our problems. He might have had a point. I don't know. But but, uh, you know, he, but uh, but he it was wrong. Right. His doctrine was just all messed up when it came to when he tried to teach. He couldn't teach the word because he would just read something. And then, and then he would kind of make all these extrapolations from that. Instead of reading the whole counsel of God, he would pick out one or two verses here and there, you know, and just like one, one evangelist was preaching about how uh, uh, Paul and his wife Silas were stuck in jail and their son Timothy was running around by them by, as an orphan out in the streets, right? Because Paul called Timothy my son in the faith. And so that he thought that Silas was Paul's wife and that Timothy was their child. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, that just, uh, there's a lot of crazy things like that. But see, the Lord had placed um, a fellow by the name of Gordon Lindsay, who was a very educated, uh, very uh, grounded teacher in uh, the ministry of uh, William Branham to kind of help William along the way, right? To kind of make sure that, you know, he didn't get too, you know, too wild and and that, uh, you know, he made sure his finances were in order and that, you know, different things were taken care of and uh, and so people came along and realized, you know, we can't control uh, William Branham until we get rid of Gordon Lindsay. So they'd go whisper to William Branham, hey, he's just trying to control your ministry. He's just trying to run your life, telling you the prophet that, uh, you know, what to do. Uh, 
and you're the prophet. You do whatever you want to do. You do what God tells you to do. You don't listen to Gordon Lindsay. And so finally, William Branham fired Gordon Lindsay. Uh, and so then his finances immediately went downhill. He started having all kinds of corruption and, and uh, things in his finances and crazy doctrine ended up dying young. Uh, and, and, and so the Lord had, but the Lord had placed uh, uh, Gordon Lindsay in his ministry to help him. Uh, and lots of times, you know, the Lord will do that uh, for you. But see, John Alexander Dowie didn't have anybody around him that would say, you know, don't wear an Elijah hat. That's really dumb. Yeah, it, uh, you know, you look kind of dumb, right? Uh, uh, and um, not to hurt your feelings, but that's really kind of dumb. Uh, and But the history of the church has been filled with people like that, right? Where people will get so full of themselves. But see, that doesn't change the word of God. doesn't change the doctrine of the word, right? Uh, and so, uh, and... Uh, uh, but there were other people, you know, uh, and like I mentioned earlier in the service, like A.B. Simpson, uh, that, uh, uh, you know, he was in a ministry before he believed in healing, uh, but then he got sick and, and then uh, got healing on his own. Uh, and so uh, he got the revelation of being healed through his own sickness. That, now that's not necessary. That's not necessary for you to get sick before you can believe in healing. Obviously, uh, you can believe in healing while you're well, right? You uh, learned that, but uh, but many ministers didn't figure out healing until they were desperate, right? Uh, he was one of them, right? Uh, Lillian B. Yeomans was one of them. Brother Hagen was one of them. Nobody ever taught Brother Hagen about healing. In fact, everybody encouraged him to just die. Um, and so uh, uh, Lester Sumrall had uh, tuberculosis, and back then tuberculosis was a killer, right? If you, got, you died, and, and he was miraculously healed uh, from tuberculosis, and he had to because otherwise he was going to die, and he, he got it on his own there. And so, uh, but A.B. Simpson ended up um, praying for his own daughter and, and she was healed as well, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so she just wanted to, you know, this whole chapter, and that's really the whole chapter was, was uh, that the word of God is settled. If the Lord said, I am the Lord who healeth thee, then uh, what does that mean? I mean, he's the Lord who healeth thee, right? Nothing has changed. Has that, has that, has that expired? Has that come to an end? No, he said it will go forth and accomplish that which he pleases. And if he was pleased to say, I am thy, thy healer, then, then that's going to go forth and stay uh, uh, returning to him uh, the fruit of that word. Amen. Uh, and so uh, you guys, there's only four questions. You guys want to go over four questions right now? Uh, uh, and then um, uh, that's nearly a miracle, right? To get done with the chapter and the questions uh, by the end of it there. So. Um, and so the question number one says, according to Psalm 119, 89, how long is the word of God settled in heaven? Forever. forever. How long is forever? forever? Forever. There's no daylight savings in heaven, right? And so, um, and then um, uh, how many religions have a belief in the healing of the body? Everyone. All of them do, right? Now, it's not necessarily about faith like we have, but they all believe that their gods have the ability to heal, right? Um, uh, and then, um, of course, I don't really mention this analogy there. She talked about that child uh, with her grandfather about blowing up a, a railroad bridge. Uh, but uh, she did have an analogy of that child or helped their grandfather. So he had wired up, you know, this bridge to blow up and then ran a long wire to his office. And he had his daughter just push the button. Uh, and, um, uh, and so when she pushed the button, she released all that power. But the point of the story was she still had to push the button. Right, the power is released, but she still had to push the button. Uh, and so in that analogy then uh, about the child who helped the grandfather blow up the, the uh, well, it was rocks in a waterway. Uh, 
her finger had to do what? Release the power, right? So, I mean, you don't really have much to do, but you got something to do, right? I mean, God's power is where all the work is done by, but your faith still has to release that power to operate in your life, right? And so, yeah, you've got some work to do by releasing that, that power of faith, but compared to, you know, she just pushed the little button and it sent the electrical signal down the wire, then up the, up the ridge there and blew up all those rocks uh, and had a great effect from just pushing that little button. But it's the same thing with your faith, right? Your faith pushes a little button and then the power of God goes into operation and affects a healing and a cure. Uh, and so uh, she said, talking about John Alexander Dowie's faith, what are we to do with his faith in God's word? We imitate his faith in God's word and leave everything else alone, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't have to wear any, any Elijah hats. We don't have to believe we're Elijah or anything silly like that. But he had faith in the word of God, right? He did get kind of off, off there, but he had a spectacular healing ministry for many years. Uh, and uh, he suffered a lot of persecution uh, around the Chicago area that the, that the people in Chicago at the time hated him and tried to destroy his ministry. Uh, and... You know, sometimes people's personality, they don't know how to deal with, with persecution and deal with things. And, you know, he, he ended up getting really way out and doing kind of crazy things, you know. Not unlike a lot of ministers do who don't sound, surround themselves with sane people, right? That's why I like hanging around Brother Randy. If I just came up and said, you know, hey, I'm Elijah, he'd be like, that's the dumbest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. You know, that's a bunch of bunk junk and, and hogwash, right? Uh, you know, and, and he'd tell me that too, right? That's a bunch of bunk junk and hogwash. And so I don't need Brother Randy to tell me that because I already know he's going to tell me that anyway. So, you know, uh, but I thank God I hang around sane people like him uh, because if I came up with something crazy, you know, I'd want him to say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, right? Uh, and he would, right? And so you need to surround yourself with people that will help you stay balanced with the Word of God, amen? Uh, and so why don't we pray and uh, we'll um, pick up uh, chapter 11 next week, amen? So Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we thank you that your Word is settled in heaven. Uh, and, and if you spoke it, Father, it doesn't change. It doesn't expire. It doesn't go uh, uh, out of date, Father. Uh, that It will go forth and accomplish that which you please. And if you said uh, that you are our healer, then it's pleasing for you, Father, to be our healer. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And we give you all the praise and the honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, and, and, you know, if nothing else... You know, I, I would encourage you, um, always maintain a strong and healthy uh, honor towards the Word of God, that the value of the Word of God, there's nothing higher than the Word of God, right? And I know in the charismatic Pentecostal churches, we like to elevate the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and, and we, we should honor that, but we, should, but we shouldn't even honor that above the Word of God, amen? Because the Word of God is, always keeps us safe, always keeps us on, on the right path, amen? So praise God. Well, let's get ready to receive this afternoon's offering. And um, uh, don't forget, um, uh, Larry and Angela Keaton will be with us here on Wednesday, so a little bit unusual there. Uh, but they're um, making their way through this area of the country, so they'll be here with us Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. So if you get a chance, come out for that, and uh, we'll enjoy their ministry there. So come ahead, Mr. Jared. And then um, normally they're here on, on Sundays, and they do uh, healing school. So... Um, um, I don't know what they'll teach on Wednesday, so, um, but it'll be good whatever they do, amen? Uh, and so, um, in, case, in, in case you want to see them, they'll be, gonna be leaving from our church on Wednesday, and they're going to be in Murphy, North Carolina, which is about two hours away 
on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday there. So, uh, but then we, of course, we got prayer service on Friday, right? So, all right, praise God. Well, um, the word is settled forever in heaven. Amen. Amen. So be blessed. Have a wonderful weekend, Lord, and you're dismissed.